Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 13. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hello there and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. Today we have kind of a different twist on real estate investing that we don't hear every time and I'm really excited to bring this different niche to you so you can learn more about it and find out if it's where you want to be. So our guest today is a mobile home park investor who currently owns 13 properties in eight states and counting. He's growing, got a couple more deals under contract, and he's so experienced and knowledgeable about mobile home parks. And I'm very excited to introduce to you Jefferson Lilly. So welcome, Jefferson. Hi, Holly. Great to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for taking your valuable time to share your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of background on your life path and how you've ended up in this place you're at today? Sure. Uh, We'll just kind of say roughly the decade prior to getting into this business, I was working in high tech, uh, had been through the dot-com boom and bust and semi-resurgence. But having gone through that, I just became increasingly focused on value investing, initially in the stock market. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Warren Buffett, obviously not in his league, but uh, just try and and follow his wisdom as as much as I can. And uh, so then I started thinking about diversifying out of the stock market and buying real estate. And I wanted it to be value real estate. I live here in San Francisco. I didn't think there was much value here, not, not very good cash flow. So I was, I was looking really for apartment buildings out in the Midwest. And just from being on sites like LoopNet, looking under multifamily, uh, you know, I'd see 99 apartment buildings at about an eight cap, you know, yielding about an 8% rate of return. And then I'd see a mobile home park at like 11 cap, building mm. uh, much more. And I thought, you know, well, that's absurd. I'm not buying a mobile home park. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, I, but I do the search again and again, and then, you know, Peoria, Illinois, and Dallas, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia, I kept getting hit over the head with this unique multifamily niche uh, that seemed to yield a lot more money. So I kind of found it part by plan and part by, by accident, uh, but just started researching it, um, read every book I could, listened to tapes, went to seminars, built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 uh, other park owners, and just started running deals by them and spent more than a year really to, to learn about the space and uh, find my first deal. But uh, it was worth it. And, and now this has become, I'm no longer working in high tech, and this has become my, my full-time vocation. Uh, just uh, buying and expanding uh, mobile home parks. Awesome. Well, that leads me to one question about what you just said. Did you have a job that you were working in, like a corporate job while you were learning about investing or did you quit your job and then start this? Yes. So I I overlapped uh, for about a year. Uh, Well, I really took about a year again, learning about the space, then bought my first park, still had my day job working in Silicon Valley for that first year. Uh, and could see after a year that, uh, frankly, that last startup that I was at was not doing real well. 
uh, and I could see that my mobile home park was doing reasonably well. And frankly, I was putting very little time or money into it. So uh, I transitioned into it really over a couple year period, a year to learn about it, a year to keep my job and have my first property, uh, and then uh, started doing mobile home parks full time. Love that. That sounds really smart. You know, occasionally there's these crazy people that will just quit their job and say, I'm going to make it work no matter what. But great. I think if you can straddle it and keep your income going that from your day job or your corporate job while you're learning, getting educated and getting that income rolling in before you quit. I think Robert Kiyosaki even has a book called Before You Quit Your Job. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read that one. I've read his Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was very good. But uh, maybe I need to read that one as well. Well, no, you've already quit your job. You're past that. So you're okay. Well, why don't you tell us, um, I, you kind of did, I think you've alluded to it too, but if you have anything more to say on it, why mobile home park investing? Like what about this industry just compelled you, even though you were initially apparently repulsed by it? Sure, <laughs> as most people are. So uh, yeah, so there's several things that make mobile home park investing particularly unique and profitable. So the first is that frankly, most people are probably repulsed. Uh, so what that means is that there's not a lot of money chasing these deals because most people think, oh, it's all guns and drugs and prostitution and whatever insanity. That might be true for the bottom, you know, one or two percent of parks that, of course, get all the bad PR. But that means, you know, 98% of parks are perfectly fine. Uh, they're full of hardworking folks. They may not live in a house as nice as you and I do, but you know, they, they want the same things for their kids that we do. They want, they want better schools. They want their kids to have a better life. Um, and again, they're, they're really just hardworking folks, the vast majority that, that don't cause problems, but that never makes the news. Um, so just the fact that this niche has such a bad reputation, frankly, makes it a, in fact, good niche to invest in. It's not hard to figure out if you're dealing with one of those really bottom one or 2% of parks that really are bad. Again, the overwhelming majority of parks are just fine. So that's a reason right there. Uh, then secondly, Mobile home parks are the only niche of real estate that are actually shrinking. Mm. Uh, So if you're otherwise considering, for instance, investing in single family homes or apartment buildings or self-storage or strip shopping mall or what have you, ultimately they're always, at least in the good times, they're always going to be building more homes and more apartments and more self-storage and more uh, retail space. Every other niche in real estate is actually expanding only mobile home parks have really been uh, outlawed or really had the zoning changed against them by pretty much every city and county over about the last 30 years. So it's really not possible to build more mobile home parks. Hmm. In fact, then about best guess is about 1% of mobile home parks get plowed under every year and they do become some sexy new strip mall or apartment building or what have you. So those tenants have to then infill the remaining mobile home parks. So that provides a steady stream of tenants and demand again continues to grow with the population about one percent a year so only mobile home parks have this growing demand one percent a year uh shrinking supply one percent a year and where you know the supply and demand curve intersect is 
higher. So that means high, higher lot rents. Um, another key thing is that in general, we only own the land. Uh, we usually don't own the homes. If we do, we'll actually put them on rent to own agreements to the existing tenants and allow them to become homeowners, get out of the game of being renters. Now, that means two things. Uh, First, we as, as landlords, really just owning the land underneath, we've got lower repair and maintenance costs because we're not maintaining those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. Those improvements are owned by our tenants. Uh, but then secondly, you know, not surprisingly, when you give folks a shot at home ownership, they begin to show pride of ownership and they take better care of the house uh, it's not like we're shifting some huge bill to them. They just maintain the houses better and they don't have to spend that much uh, repairing the proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. So it's a great win-win for everyone to help our tenants become homeowners and again, to have us just own the land. It's not very expensive to maintain land. We mow some lawns and we do some sewer on stops. Uh, but again, not very not very expensive to maintain the land. Um, and then finally, when your tenants own their own homes, they're not likely to move. Uh, frankly, it, it costs four to ten thousand to move a mobile home, depending whether it's single wide or double wide. So tenants, if they need to take, for instance, a job in another city, they're very likely to sell the house in place and go buy a new mobile home in whatever new town they're moving to. So that means really the tenant is the home, not the person. Uh, and again, the homes tend not to move. They tend to stay in parks for about 50 years. So that means our tenant turnover really is more like 2% a year, whereas folks that own uh, single family houses, quadplexes, apartment buildings, probably those renters turn over even every couple of years. So, you know, that niche has more like a 50% turnover. So we, we just have much, much more stable uh, cash flows with the tenants. Again, really the house is just not turning over that fast. So very compelling niche. Definitely. I think I'm sold. I think I okay. need to go buy a park. <laughs> Well, why don't you um, entertain us with a little interesting story from your experience with mobile home parks? Okay, yeah. When I was first getting into this business, uh, I uh, w did buy several mobile homes to bring into my that first park when I started doing it full time. I had some vacant pads, so I bought some homes wholesale, uh, brought them in, and then when I went into the DMV, uh, this is in Oklahoma, to uh, get those titles for those mobile homes put into my name. I had several of them. And the woman behind the counter sort of looked at me surprised. She looked me over like head to toe, Holly. And she said, you own more than one mobile home? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I felt like uh, quite a big shot. Um, Anyway, so that's uh, one, one of my humorous stories about, about this business. <laughs> well, that's a good one. So speaking of Oklahoma, why don't you tell us where, where, if you can remember them off the top of your head, all eight states that your properties are in. Okay, sure. Yeah, going uh, left to right, uh, roughly across the country. Uh, we're in Wyoming, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Indi Illinois, Indiana, 
Ohio, Michigan, and coming back around uh, Wisconsin. And then we've got two other deals uh, under contract uh, that'll take us into, uh, I think, one new state. Wow, that's quite that a, another uh, another two months. <laughs> quite a diverse area. Now, let me ask this: Why are you so diverse? Was that intentional? Do you just kind of say? I mean, because right now I flip houses and I kind of do all of Southern California. I said, if there's a good deal, I'll do it within yep. Southern California. But sometimes I'm driving two hours to get to them. Yeah. Yeah. So with you, how did you end up so wise? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you're doing more traditional real estate, like single family houses, you know, you would know better, but I would guess down in Southern California, you've probably got a thousand houses within a two or three hour drive of your house that you could, that you could buy. Um, in my niche in mobile home parks, there might only be a total of a thousand mobile home parks up for sale every year obviously spread out nationwide. Uh, and me living here in San Francisco, frankly, there are none <laughs> in San Francisco. Uh, I'd have to go over into the East Bay. And really, California real estate is just quite expensive if you're looking for cash flow. Um, and that's the way we play the game. We, we buy parks at generally around a 10 cap. Uh, so again, we'd be getting 10% return on our money, unlevered. Uh, we do typically buy with leverage, so we're getting usually closer to 20% cash on cash. Um, and uh, you simply can't do that in California. And again, there, there aren't too many mobile home parks for sale in, in California. So I guess as uh, you know, people ask Jesse James why he robbed banks and he said, well, that's where the money is. So uh -huh. we buy in the Midwest because that's where the money is. I, I'd love to own within uh, two hours of San Francisco, but uh, that's just not likely to happen. So not again, possible. Yeah. This asset class, when you just own the land and you've got responsible tenants that, again, maintain all their own homes, it, gets, it makes the ownership, uh, remote ownership, a lot simpler. It's, I'm not saying it's, there are no headaches, but it's a lot simpler to just collect checks uh, from responsible tenants uh, when, again, really the only maintenance to take care of is some sewer unstops and, and lawn mowing. So this is a relatively easy asset class to manage from a distance when you know what you're doing. Well, that leads me to another question. Do you have an on-site manager at each park that lives on site? Yeah, we all, in all but one of our parks, we do. Uh, and that one park is close enough to another park that they can be managed by the same manager. But basically, yeah, you always want to have an on-site manager. Um, as we say, you know, the way to find your next mobile home park manager is you go into the park on a sunny Saturday afternoon when all the kids are playing and the parents are out and you crack open a Coke or a beer, whatever is your preference, you drink it, you crinkle up the can, throw it out the window of your car, and whoever's the first person to come up and tell you to clean that up, that's your manager. I love that. That is great. <laughs> so, uh, we, we will look, that's a bit tongue in cheek, but, but, we, but it, it's not that far off, off the mark. We look for the, the tenants that have the best houses. That's not necessarily the newest houses, but the houses that are kept the best uh, have a clean mowed lawn, not junk, not kids toys or adult toys in the lawn. Um, we just look for whoever really has the best looking house and we'll approach them about being the manager. Um, and that usually pays good dividends. And then they handle all the rent collections, uh, any late notices, 
and scheduling a lot of that more minor routine maintenance on the land, the sewer and the lawn. Uh, we do have a remote asset manager who will do more involved things. For instance, when a tenant maybe abandons a house uh, and it actually does need to be, you know, perhaps repossessed, painted, recarpeted, what have you. Our, our remote asset manager, will, the manager also is remote. And then again, the managers are all on site. Okay. And um, led me to another question. Do, so does the managers get free lot rent? Is that how that works? They'll get free lot rent plus generally $10 per month per lot. Oh, wow. Uh, plus. They'll get an additional $5 a month uh, for any mobile home that we own that we've you know, typically got on a rent-to-own agreement. So again, they'll be making between $10 and $15 a lot. So say a 50 space park, they make at least 500 a month, uh, maybe as much as 750 and they get free lot rent. Nice, nice incentive for them. That's yep. great. So um, do you have any other interesting stories about your parks or the residents? <laughs> uh, you know, my first park uh, was in Oklahoma. That's where I got my start. And I remember asking my manager, I said, you know, and this was in tornado season, you know, May or, or June many years ago. And I said, you know, oh, my word, like, what do you do when the tornadoes come? And, uh, you know, I was expecting him to say, oh, we go running and screaming for the hills. Uh, but he said, we watch them. <laughs> you watch the tornadoes? Are you crazy? He said, Jefferson, no, these things move slow, typically 10 miles an hour. And they tend to come from the southwest and go to the northeast, diagonally across the state. So if we look at them and they're already north or west or east, probably there's nothing to worry about. If they're to the southwest of us, then they're likely going to come towards us. Then we'll get in our car and drive north or east and, and get out of the way. But uh, anyway, I was just surprised. You know, he was a senior citizen, and he, he was not running for the hills. He was just going to watch him on his front porch. This was kind of <laughs> entertainment. He, you know, he grew up in Oklahoma. He had never been hit by a tornado. He had never had any problems. Uh, but that's what he did. He just watched the tornadoes. No, no running and screaming. <laughs> so have any of your parks encountered any weather trauma of anything like um, that? A little uh, in that some roof shingles have been blown off and some vinyl siding has been blown off. Thank heavens we've not been hit. And again, 99 point some odd percent of parks never get hit by a tornado. But of course, when they do, the media is right there, cameras rolling. And so this niche has a undeservedly bad reputation. Um, but yeah, honestly, a lot of those didn't even meet the deductible of like, I usually keep a thousand dollar deductible per house relatively high. Um, so I've had to pay that out a couple of times. Of course, it means my insurance premiums generally are lower. Um, but yeah, just relatively minor stuff. And, and frankly, site-built houses in the area had similar problems. It's, it didn't cause any undue problem just because they're mobile homes. Most mobile homes today are built with the same materials that site-built homes are, are built with. A lot of people don't realize that. But um, you know, they're not going to survive a direct hit with a tornado, neither is a site-built house. Right. Uh, 
Now, the high wind stuff, you lose some shingles, you pay out a thousand bucks, you're back in business. Not a problem. No big deal. Well, interesting. Well, I'd love to hear from your perspective the path of a mobile home investor because in the single family world, usually people start out from wholesaling houses to flipping single family homes to perhaps working up to multifamily and doing apartments. Is there some kind of a path similar like that to mobile home park investing? There is. And frankly, anybody that's moved along that path would now be ready to acquire a mobile home park. Uh, also, we have people in our industry, we call them Lonnie dealers, uh, nicknamed after a guy named Lonnie Scruggs, who wrote a book called Deals on Wheels, which is all about buying mobile homes and fixing them up and flipping the homes. Um, our advice is that you want to own the park, you want to own the real estate, not the wheel estate. <laughs> but, um, but I do know a guy, for instance, who got started buying and, and fixing and flipping mobile homes. He would get them from a park owner that frankly probably couldn't care less, you know, maybe even get the home given to him or he'd buy it for a couple grand. He'd fix it up a lot of his own time and labor. Um, and then he'd, you know, sell it for five or 10,000 take down a couple thousand, which covered most of his hard costs. And then he had created, you know, another three, 400 a month in passive income for him for say another three years, maybe five. Um, anyway, he got started that way, individual homes. He got up to 50 mobile homes that he had fixed wow. and, and flipped and sold on a note. You're not going to get people that'll pay cash. No bank is going to lend on these. So you got to be in a position to take a couple thousand down and then get paid out over time. But anyway, he had upwards of 50 note, uh, notes providing him income. And then he bought his first mobile home park. But I think he got started again just with a couple thousand bucks. Now he owns, I believe, five mobile home parks. So th this business does have a very easy on-ramp uh, for folks that might just get started with a couple thousand. Uh, of course, if you've got tens of thousands, that's probably enough to get a down payment uh, on a you know couple hundred thousand dollar park. You can get started that way. Improve it, borrow your money out, buy a bigger park, maybe partner with people. Anyway, th this business has a very easy on-ramp for folks to get started. I love it. And what has your path led you to do? Are you using other people's money right now too? Yeah, I got started just uh, with a park. I didn't need to get started with the houses. Uh, my first park, I put about 80000 down. Uh, I believe it was a $450,000 acquisition. I got an 81% bank loan. Nice. Uh, put down about 19%. That got me into the business. Uh, I then grew, uh, start, did start investing in some houses, brought in houses, got that park more full, refinanced it, uh, took some cash out and really reinvested back in that park and then a second park. And then starting about three years ago, uh, I, I partnered up uh, with a guy, Brad Johnson, uh, and we started raising money from outsiders. Uh, we got started, this is now 2014, uh, we got started uh, raising money deal by deal. We set up separate LLCs for separate properties uh, and would raise money from anywhere between one and six people per deal. So we did, I believe, three of those in 2014. And then in 2015, uh, we graduated to have a fund 
uh, properly registered with the SEC called the 506 Reg D Fund. So again, we raised money that way and then went out and bought uh, another eight properties. Uh, so investors who are getting to that level of needing to raise outside capital will face the same chicken and egg problem uh, that we face, which is, you know, do you start with a deal and then need to scramble before closing and raise your money? Or do you start with a fund, you raise money first, blind, really, with no deal, and you then go out and try and find uh, the right deal to buy? So we found the way we, we, we solved that conundrum initially, again, was with deals, uh, it helped a lot to be able to show someone a photo, even though it wasn't a sexy photo. It was a photo of a mobile home park. Here's a mobile home that you're going to own, and here's the parking lot, and here's the fence out front. When, when there was something tangible, that helped and encouraged people to start writing us checks. Um, again, we had a good track record with that, and I think that then enabled us to graduate up into a fund structure uh, where we could not, you know, we didn't have any specific deals that people were investing in. We would have to first raise the money and then go out and, and find uh, the deals. But that's the way we do it now. We're about to open our next fund. We anticipate doing that roughly one, one a year. Um, again, we'll raise the money first. And then we kind of know, you know, how many deals we need to buy. We'll raise the money first in a fund and then, uh, and then go acquire them. And really, funds do provide some diversification for investors. Uh, heaven forbid if something goes wrong with a park, you've still got the other parks in the fund that presumably are doing well. Um, so we like the fund structure. Some LPs only want to do specific deal by deal investing. They want to feel that they can cherry pick a good deal rather than investing in a blind fund. Um, there are no right or wrong answers there. It's just kind of investor preference. But um, we like we like the fund business for ourselves. We like that it also provides good diversification for our investors. Great. So you keep talking about we. Who's on your team? How many people are on this team of yours? Yeah. So Brad and I are the two general partners uh, of Park Street Partners. Okay. Uh, we now have uh, roughly another 18 or 20 folks working with us part time. Uh, you know, all of our managers, we've got a dozen managers, again, across the 13 properties. So that's 12 people working part-time on-site. Uh, we've got the asset manager. We've got a bookkeeper and an accountant. We've got an attorney. Uh, we've got one asset manager and probably we'll bring on a second by the end of the year. Um, and we may actually also bring on somebody that will just focus on uh, marketing our fund. We'll see. Uh, nice. But currently, we're, we're roughly 20 folks, uh, well, not all, yeah, to, to roughly about 20 folks working part-time uh, at this, again, spread out na nationwide. Brad and I are here in California. Properties are in the Midwest. Our bookkeeper uh, is in India, and our asset manager is in uh, New York. So we're, we're, wow. we're fairly uh, spread out, virtual organization. You're uh, global. But, you know, <laughs> with email, with video conferencing like we're doing, uh, the world is a very small place. So we, we feel connected even though we're not physically under uh, one roof. Awesome. Love it. Well, we need to wrap up our show here. So any more entertaining stories that you've got to share with us as we go on out here? Oh, let's see. My, the same manager told me once he called me, he said, Jefferson, 
somebody's broken into, you know, house 526 that you're renovating. They, they broke into the little window in the back bedroom, in the back door, and they tracked mud on the floor. And uh, so I thought, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we should report this to the police. Uh, I hung up the phone with them. I thought about it a little bit, and I realized that that window was actually about seven feet off the ground. Wow. And was probably smaller than the computer screen that I'm talking to you on right now. Long story short, what had happened was the guy that I had hired to rehab the house that week prior had forgotten to repair what was already a broken window and not yet gotten to steam cleaning the carpet where there was mud. So my manager thought he saw a break-in. It was just the condition that the house was in because the repair guy wasn't finished with the job. So you got to be careful of the stories that you hear out of your (laughs) mouth. They're not necessarily lies, but they might all might not all be entirely accurate either. So as you get into the business, you'll learn to listen for these things and, and figure out what the truth really is. Awesome. Well, you've given some great advice and how someone can start with little to no money. You can probably start doing a Lonnie deal on a credit card if you had to. Yes. You get your foot in the door, wedge it open, and then just grow bigger and bigger and become a mobile home park mogul like yourself. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of your great education and information today. And um, what is your website that people want to go to to learn about how to work with you or learn more information from you? Sure. We're at parkstreetpartners.net, N-E-T. And we've got resources there, both for folks that may want to tackle owning a park themselves, as well as for folks that might be just happy co-owning parks with us and investing in our fund and just sitting back and letting us send them checks. So whether folks want to be an active or a passive investor, uh, we've got resources for them there, parkstreetpartners.net. Awesome. And I'll also include your email address and phone number in our show notes too for people that want to get in touch with you. All right. Well, thank you for your time and all your great wisdom. Okay. Thank you, Holly. Great to be with you today. Bye-bye. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.